0: Rachel. What are you doing? I'm just putting together episode 17 of my Lessons from Lost podcast. Did you miss me last time? I did, actually. I really did. Who are we talking to this week? We're talking to a lady called Jo. And what's her story? Well, it's all about the shame and loss of walking away from her marriage and then how she came within days of losing her home. Is the porcupine involved? Well, I think maybe he's located in Wales somewhere. Let's find out, shall we? Hello, and welcome to the Lessons from Loss podcast, in which we share our experiences of loss and, more importantly, what we learn that now positively guide and defines our lives today. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest about their experiences. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their story. And the impact on hearing these stories may have on you, the listener. So do please look after yourself as you listen and reach out for support if you need to. So today I'm really happy to be chatting with Joanna Rhys-Davies, who lost her identity, financial security and some friends and family when she and her husband parted amicably in 2016 just when things were settling down in march 2020 she came within days of losing the home she had lovingly created for her and her son and in a bizarre twist of fate the locking down of the country and the covid pandemic ultimately saved it welcome Jo.
1: hi rachel thank you very much for having me today
0: oh thank you i'm really looking forward to our conversation so thank you for for agreeing to chat to us and for sharing sharing your story So, gosh, you've been quite through quite a lot in the last five years or so. And I wonder if perhaps should we start with the amicable separation um, between you and your husband? Because on the face of it, that wouldn't appear to be a huge loss because it was a, a joint decision and was all sort of happened on an amicable basis. But what was the impact of all of that?
1: Definitely. And I'm glad to be able to talk to you, Rachel, because I didn't actually talk to that many people at the time. Um, It's it's one of those things that wider friends and family probably still don't know very much about until they listen to this podcast. Um, Going back before 2016, I was happily married, and my husband and I were both barristers, very busy lives, well earning lots of money, a very nice, lovely house that we'd done up together. And then we had my son in 2009 and over the years after that things changed, values changed, interests and dreams for the world changed. We jointly decided to move to Wales in 2015. We definitely, definitely wanted to do that together and and to bring my son up as Welsh. So we're really glad to have done that. But over the course of the year from 2015 to 2016 it just became increasingly clear for many factors which I probably won't go into now for, for more confidential reasons that we just are better off as friends and it it wasn't working as a romantic marriage anymore and we were making each other very unhappy. So after many many painful rows and difficult discussions and and things that we were trying very hard to keep out of hearing and sight of my son, we made the difficult decision to separate when we came to the end of our first year of renting in Wales and to move into separate properties and I think one of the hardest things about it was that in my family, there's very much that narrative of having to be successful and to be the good girl and to be the high achiever. And that, that is exactly the path I had trod. And it was more my husband, um, you know, fair play to him, who sort of pushed us to a point of saying we, we can't live together anymore. Because I actually probably would have carried on doing that, even though we neither of us were happy, he was the courageous one that said, I think we should try a year of living apart. And so that led us to looking to into rental properties. And because we were now going to be dividing up an income between two, two homes, and because I was no longer working as a barrister, finances were going to be very, very different. And um, my hu- husband was you know, being very reasonable, very fair about giving maintenance to myself and my son. That was never an issue at all, but even so, Now we were going to have to split his income over two homes. And one of us wasn't going to be working apart from ad hoc because my son was only five. And we were suddenly looking from having had this lovely, beautiful home in our olden um, county where we used to live to splitting it into two flats or two very, very small properties. And that in itself was this huge shift for me because I had grown up in a narrative again of success equals wealth success equals big house a really decent house and and that idea of continuing to get a bigger and bigger house as you go on you're not supposed to in your late 30s separate from your nice husband you know there's no abuse or oppression but you just are not in love with each other anymore I wasn't supposed to be doing any of that and my family were not happy at all and were quite ashamed of the decision that we were making which made it incredibly difficult
0: Gosh, yes, that must have been difficult because, you know, difficult to to make that decision anyway, but then to not have the support of those around you. Did you feel shame as well?
1: Yeah, I felt that. And and really, Rachel, until the last few years, um, and we'll obviously talk about that later, I have carried this enormous weight of shame, this sense that I broke up a happy marriage, how could I leave someone who wasn't awful to me? I want to make it really clear that neither yeah. of us were awful to each other. We just want different worlds and lives and motherhood changed me as it does for so many parents. Um, and my family members, particularly some very key parents couldn't just couldn't get their heads around this. You know, you don't walk away from a marriage. Um, and, and weirdly my ex-husband and I are still extremely good friends. We co-parent brilliantly together. We see each other all the time. We're, there's no doubt in our minds that we made the right decision, not just for ourselves, but for our son, who has always therefore had a happy life and not seen arguing parents. And yet I, I've still carried that feeling of you threw everything away. You failed. You, you had that perfect life in the other county that everybody wants. And then you moved to Wales and you did some strange decision making and upended it all to live in a tiny little rental house. And we'll come on to that in a moment, no doubt.
0: Yeah, that must have been a very, a very courageous decision to make. Yeah, and I guess of, at times you you probably sat there and thought, oh, what what have I done? What have, what have we done?
1: Yeah. Um, and that leads me to how I sort of ended up living in this this little house. And we we looked around for for we were living in quite a rich town to begin with when we moved to Wales and we looked around for places to rent, and there was quite clearly nowhere that was going to be comfy and warm and okay for my son and I in that rich town for the sort of money we were going to be able to spend on rent and my ex-husband looked around a little bit further and found this other town a little bit further out a little bit of a rundown seaside town and he found this little two-bedroom cottage it wasn't even on right move it was just being advertised privately and he said I'd like I think you might like it you know the, the town seems quite nice do you want to go and have a look at it and bear in mind this is under the shadow of we're getting we're separating we're You know, our marriage is ending. We're probably not going to get back together. Um, I'd never lived alone. I'd lived with students at university. I'd come back to live with my parents while training as a lawyer. And then I'd married my husband and moved in with him. And I had never, ever lived or parented all of my own. And, you know, dealt with everything all of my own. And it was absolutely daunting. And I came and looked at this little two up, two down, two bedroom house. And the minute I walked through the door, I saw the white wooden fireplace. And I looked at the beautiful light streaming through these back windows. It's a south facing garden. And I thought, oh, this is quite nice, actually. I-, I might I might be able to do this. I might be okay here. And I could sort of see how my sofa might fit. And I could shove some of my other furniture under the stair. Nothing was really going to fit well. But I thought this, this, this might be all right. I might be able to make this nice for my son. And this, yeah, this could work for a while. That was the idea. Mm-hmm. And, and so I accepted it. And that was in 2016, and we moved in, and I thought, it kind of feels cozy. And I think right now, that's what I need. But as you say, Rachel, it absolutely, it certainly wasn't overwhelmingly positive. There was that sense of a bit of a refuge, a bit of a a hug in a house, but I remember drinking far too much wine, which I'm not suggesting anyone should do, and sitting on the well-worn carpet of the stairs of this rental property on my 10th wedding anniversary. And thinking, what, what have I done? Mm. You know, It should be my 10th wedding anniversary. I should have been going out, celebrating. And, and here we are living in separate rental accommodation. My One of my parents had said to me, I'm so angry with you. I haven't been able to speak to you for two weeks. <laughs> um, and yeah, just Gosh. sat all alone thinking, what am I going to do? And in that time, the only thing I thought I could do is just keep putting one foot in front of the other, keep getting up every morning, keep being the best mum I could be. And just keep taking one day at a time and that's sort of what we did from the sort of early 16, 2016 time onwards.
0: Yes yeah I mean having been um, a single parent myself through different um, circumstances you know I completely get that just daunting sense of uh, you know because up until that point I too had, had never been on my own or not in a relationship and yeah, that it's I, I hear you on that the dauntingness and the the fear of being on your own and having to deal with everything, everything Absolutely. yourself. But you know, different circumstances for me, but I sort of very much had the support of people. So yeah, that that must have been a a really tough time for you.
1: Yeah. And it was that interesting feeling that some some separations seem to warrant. Uh, And some single parenting situations, and I think rightly so, warrant lots of support and everybody will rally around. But mine was not. Mine was much more done in silence, you know, done under a cloud of shame. No one was rushing down to Wales to help my my sort of new friends in Wales help me move. Uh, Nobody was phoning me up on my new landline number saying, are you okay?" Uh, Yes, good friends were there for me. But the sort of people, particularly family members who really, I think, should have been there with an unjudgmental point of view we're not and um, I remember another good friend of me saying you need to live on your own it will be the making of you and you will Mm. figure out what you want to do and I remember sitting on those stairs on my 10th wedding anniversary thinking oh my god she was so wrong
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, do you think differently now though
1: I do we'll come back to that another thing I think kind of relevant to something I'll say later in the story is that I absolutely did not want my son to see me cry he was only five or six at the time and so I did all of this sort of mini grieving I guess for my marriage because I was still sad that it had ended and I felt I don't regret the original marriage and having my son at all sad the way it's gone and I did it all quietly and on the couch and at night because I didn't want him to see me sad but he's a very sensitive little boy and I just thought that I can't ask him to carry that this is my issue I will carry the pain of it and I'll carry it on my own.
0: So you settled into this lovely house
1: I did and then we, I was sort of saying to a friend another day, uh, uh, earlier um, today that it was an ambivalent situation for four years because on the one hand I settled into the house, I figured out where everything was and it was really easy to get to the shops and to do everything, I'm not a very confident driver and I had absolutely no plans to leave the house, I wasn't thinking of going anywhere else, um, I made the garden lovely, I started to settle into this new life of being a solo mum And yet at the same time, I never fully embraced living in Wales or living in the house. I kept going traveling. You know, I did it as much as I could on bargains and on on cheap deals. I was very lucky to be in a certain situation where I could um, have some help with that with some friends. And I every moment I got went somewhere else in the UK or I went abroad, uh, went to see some other friends. And I never really settled into I have a base in Wales. And I had an ambivalent relationship with the house on the one hand. It was a very lovely, secure place to live. On the other hand, my parent, who I won't say any further than that, kept making these comments about how small it was. Why was I living in a tiny rental house? And so I also had this sense of I can't I can't stay here forever. There has to be something else that I do at some point. So, yeah, ambivalent up until 2020.
0: Yeah. And felt like it was just a transitionary
1: Yes but yet did nothing about leaving it so it was a weird sort of yes I was quite flighty and I was also not wanting to do a lot um, of proper looking at my own finances I wasn't exactly uh, throwing away my savings I had good savings from our split equity from our old house but I wasn't working very much because I was parenting a lot and I hated the fact that I didn't have an income anymore not certainly not like my old barrister one and I hated the fact I didn't own this house and I didn't know how that could ever have been the case and and so I was very scared of looking at sort of looking myself into that in that dark part of my life my bank account did I have a pension and I just ignored it and kept going and traveling and doing lovely things and visiting people and just pushing all that to one side of my life.
0: So what happened then in the start of 2020 where things kind of took a what seemed like at the time a turn for the worse?
1: Yeah, things took a very, very different turn. So at the start of 2020, I was really lucky to be able to go and visit um, really close friends in Australia. I've done this a few times and it's the most brilliant thing to do. And we're able to go outside of term time for other reasons. So uh, my son and I had gone to Australia and it was funny. My friend I was talking to earlier said, do you remember how you were quite wound up about the house before you went. And it was the first time I'd seen you like that. You know, really keen to make sure someone looked after the house. You were very keen to make sure nothing happened to it. Would somebody come and check on it for you? You, you You'd done some trips before that and I'd never seen you that concerned about it. And so I went off on this wonderful trip to Australia and I had a good couple of weeks in Australia and I asked uh, my friend and Adam, my ex-husband I should call him my co-parent to to look after the house for me and come over regularly and check it out and so we've been in Australia for about three weeks we'd had a lovely time and he rang me a very strange time a time he didn't usually ring and I answered the phone and he said hey I'm over at the house and I said oh, right," and you know is everything right is it nothing broken and nothing's damaged and he said it's not that you've got a very serious looking letter from um your landlord I can tell from the stamp and I think I should open it for you and I suddenly just felt that feeling that people have when their heart is just in their mouth and I thought oh my god what what's happening I also thought perhaps he's just going to put my rent up because he he hadn't put it up for several years I was a good tenant and I said well it's probably just the rent right I mean you think that it's it's probably just saying he's increasing the rent and my ex-husband said I'm I'm sure but I just I think we should open it I really think I should open it now I don't think this should wait till you come back and I'm sorry to do it on your holiday but I, th- I think we should open it so he opened the letter and then he said I think you need to sit down um the letter says he's put the house on the market and this is your standard two months notice to leave the house and this was funny enough Rachel it was on the 12th of February 2020 so we're recording this shortly just reflecting as before we, we spoke today that it was an almost, almost to the day, two years ago. I just asked him to repeat that to me and he said, no, no, he says he's already put it on. It's already on the market. And here's a letter from the estate agents as well. They're coming around, to take some photographs. And this is your statutory two months notice period and you're going to have to leave. And I just absolutely broke down. <laughs> um, and it was weird because I had not even cried that much in front of that many people even when I separated from my marriage I have not I cannot remember the last time that I had cried that much and, and now two years later there's been nothing like it I just absolutely broke down into huge mm. sobs. Um, I was so far away and there was nothing I could do and this was my little house that I had made my house and no matter how much was that nagging doubt of shame when I really thought about it this was my home Mm. I made it into my son and I's home and now it was going and I had no financial means as far as I could tell to change that and the rug was just being pulled completely under me and unlike my usual stoical chin up let's try and find a way forward in that moment I could not see a way forward I just couldn't see Anything other than having to pack up all my belongings again and move to somewhere which probably wasn 't going to be as nice um, yeah. in yeah, I control
0: and all this going on while you 're the other side of the world
1: yeah and so then I had to make a very difficult decision. Do I cut the trip short, lose the money, lose all of these um, educational classes that my son had been brilliantly been able to enroll, enroll in, and he was having a wonderful time with his community. Or do I rely on um, my ex-husband and my really good friend to look for another rental property for most of the trip and then come back a couple of weeks early and then try and sort it out then with only a couple of weeks to go? And I actually opted for that option, which <laughs> in hindsight, perhaps it wasn't the best idea, but things you know, unfolded the way they did. And so then I spent the next few weeks in Australia trying to give my son a lovely time with this constant shadow mm-hmm. over me and lots more crying. I would have I'd be having a lovely night out at a restaurant with friends and I would come home and then I would cry because I would just remember, it would just hit me like a ton of bricks. Again, the house is going. You lo- this is all lovely that this is a holiday. When you get back, you have to pack up your belongings again and move. And in the meantime, my ex-husband had found a very, very similar version of, this little cottage, because it's on a, a little estate of cottages, round the corner. And it's almost the exact same plan, but it was really badly done up and poorly in a sort of a fairly poor state of um decor compared to this one. And I I just ummed and on thought, I don't think I can live in another house that's basically my house, but isn't my house anymore. I don't think my son would like that. I think that would be too weird. And while I was umming in Arabati anyway, over a 24 hour period, that house got taken somebody else rented that house so that was gone and then the final option started to look more and more likely to be another house um 10 minutes walk away or so an even tinier house than this house um again didn't have the lovely garden didn't have it was smaller didn't have many things and a a little granddad I'm sure he was really lovely had had to move out and quite recently and going to a nursing home so it had that sort of sense that my granddad had lived in it for mm-hmm. ages it didn't have that sort of bright white decor that I've got and it just felt like 10 steps backwards in my life and I knew I was gonna have to pay more money and take it and it was just this feeling of dread getting back on the plane again in 2020 to come back here and and looking back it was strange because it was like something out of Some of those movies you see where in the background of my entire trip, every time we turned on the radio or the TV, there was this strange news about a virus that seemed to be happening in China. And given that I was in Australia, that was actually quite prevalent news. But yet I was never registering anything about this because I was so fixated on on my really sad feelings about the house.
0: Mm. Mind you, I mean, back in the UK, we were all just going... It'll be gone in three weeks yeah. anyway. So <laughs> I
1: think that was probably my, my feeling too. And I, I remember arriving back on the 17th of March and the border control officer saying, you've got back just in time. Because I, I think we went into lockdown a week later. Yeah. And I came back here and I came back to this house and I was just so pleased to see it, but so sad. And I went to bed that night and we have this lovely situation in our little house where I can hear the first train that comes from Pembrokeshire through, going off towards Cardiff. And the railway track's quite close, not annoyingly close, but close enough that I can hear that faint rumbling at sort of 5.30, 6 a.m. in the morning. And I heard it and thought, I'm not gonna hear that anymore. I've loved hearing that. I've loved waking up to this sunny window and that, that train noise is gonna be gone. So there was nothing else to do. Literally 48 hours after I'd got off the plane, I went to the estate agent's office and signed a contract for what I now affectionately call the Grandad House. I went to have a look at the granddad house straight away because I got the keys and I absolutely burst into tears as well the minute I got in the little kitchen and just looked around and thought I'm not even going to get it was hard enough to get my furniture from my big house into this house without having to squeeze it into an even smaller house and that I think that was my Nadia Rachel that was my lowest point of thinking what have I done to my son I was supposed to be this successful lawyer with this beautiful big house and I went to living in a little rental house which was pretty nice so that was all fine and now I'm upending my son again to this even smaller house that's going to make me really really miserable and cost more money and and for what because me and my husband couldn't work it out in my marriage like what is wrong with me and yeah so that was a very 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 sad time and I think the hardest thing as well was that my son just kept seeing me crying and I'd always wanted to not be like that um
0: and yeah. i just couldn't
1: it. I just couldn't find that jolly optimism that i've always found for so many other things of my life
0: and did you see that having an impact on him as well I think
1: so he was extremely unsettled um, mm-hmm. i mean he'd been unsettled a little bit when we'd first moved into the original rental, but i'd managed to smooth that over and um my ex-husband was coming around every day anyway because I really want them to have loads of contact and co-parent together so we'd managed to smooth that over this is the first time in I think forever that he had seen mummy openly crying a lot um and I really wished I couldn't I could stop doing it but I just couldn't see a way forward then we went into lockdown And on my way, I think actually we had gone into lockdown either that day or the day before or something like that. It was really, really close to all the government were talking about it because I was walking back from what I call the granddad house to this house. Again, under a real cloud, thinking about what I was going to do and having to pack it all up and who was going to help me move. And obviously my family weren't going to be particularly useful. And there was a weird note pushed through my door, just a handwritten note. And I came in and it was from my original landlord. And it said, seems to be something strange happening in the country. Um, you don't have to move out of the house straight away if you don't want to. So he would clearly thought to himself, I'm not going to be able to get another tenant now, or I'm not going to be able to sell it now because this strange pandemic is taking over our country. You can keep living there if you want to. You know, Let me know what you want to do, signed the landlord. And I thought, oh my God, of course I want to keep living here. <laughs> um, but I've just signed a contract on something else. What am I going to do? And I thought I'm going to pay double rent, even if I have to reach into my savings, even if I have to ask some friends to help, which I did. I am going to pay the rent on both until I can figure it out because I'm not le- leaving this house until I absolutely have mm. to. And then a couple of strange things sort of happened at once. While I should have perhaps mentioned that while I was in Australia in my absolute, desperately sad time, a few really good friends and and either good with money or had some money had said to me can't you buy it and I'd said then no I can't I I don't think I can that's just not feasible I don't have a salary and they'd said to me but don't you have savings from your other house that you and your ex-husband split and I said yeah I've got quite a decent chunk of savings I could probably pay for a third of the house outright I just where am I going to get the other two thirds? like I don't have a salary I'm not going to get a mortgage and they were being absolutely wonderful and trying to think of creative solutions for me even then and I really couldn't hear those creative solutions I wasn't really thinking about it and so after I'd got the funny note from the landlord perhaps for the first time in all of this my lawyer brain kicked in my ex-lawyer brain and thought hang on a minute but am I actually being allowed to stay here for another six months is this a new tenancy are you revoking what's called the no fault eviction notice what's the legal point of view of all this Mm. because I really want to know so I rang the estate agent and this is where things get lovely and people fall into your life and I rang at the estate agent who is an absolutely wonderful fantastic friendly Welsh person recommend them to all your viewers and listeners if they're um, wanting someone like that and the estate agent who doesn't work for me at all, it works for the landlord, was brilliant and, you know, said he was really sorry that he hadn't been able to ask me if I wanted to buy it. And, you know, he'd been instructed not to do that. And he explained various aspects of um, a new tenancy and I would be able to stay a little bit longer. And, and that was great. And then he said, do you not think you can buy it? And I said, I don't think I, I don't think I can because I don't have a salary. And he said, well, how do you? live sort of dated and I said like, well I have maintenance from my I, I do earn a little bit of money from a contract job I have but it's very very ad hoc and it, it certainly isn't enough to pay a mortgage and I said but I get really reasonable maintenance from my ex-husband he's really really fair we've split all the money down the middle he's really you know good about that sort of thing and it was the estate agent who said you can get a mortgage on maintenance payments it just depends how big they are and what you want to borrow and I said really so I might be a lawyer but I'm not a property lawyer." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I think maybe it binged in the back of my mind that somewhere in property law, that might be a thing. But I had absolutely no idea. And he said, have you got a financial advisor? And I said, no, I haven't properly looked at my finances for two, three years. I'm ashamed of my finances. I hate the fact I don't have a salary. And he said, I think you need a financial advisor. I'm not going to help you. I can't really help you anymore. But given what you've said, done a few sums here on the back of an envelope. I think you need some help because I think you might be able to do it and so he recommended a, a local financial advisor who apparently is a sort of a financial doula in a way he, he is an emotional support for mm. extremely sad people like me who end up sitting on his couch in a big mess saying I don't know what I'm doing but I think I want to buy my rental house and the financial advisor was absolutely fantastic absolutely brilliant and sorted everything out straight away gave me lots and lots of help and yes effectively said on the money that you've got already in the bank given that you'd be able to buy the house uh, you'd be able to buy a third of the house on the maintenance that you're getting that's very reasonable I think we can make a mortgage application
0: wow how did you feel at that point
1: (laughs) um like I've been sent some sort of rope from heaven or the universe or whatever you want to call it that yeah a lifeline from some someone was looking (laughs) at me somewhere it was just unbelievable and he, but even then Rachel even all the way through this was probably in about April 2020 early early April from then until December 2020 all the way through I never ever took it for granted and I never at any stage thought this is definitely going to happen because I think the shock of having it taken from me so swiftly when I wasn't even here made it really really difficult to believe it was all going to be okay
0: Mm -hmm. I'd really lost
1: my faith in how it's all going to work out okay. So he made the mortgage application with, you know, know, I gave him all the things I need to make. And then, and I'm sure there'll be so many people in the UK who have been in an even worse position than I have, but in a similar property situation throughout the pandemic, then began the huge weeks of delay. And it was no, that's no one's fault. Maybe there was some benefit to me in that, but for, for anyone who was trying to move, sell, buy a house, all the mortgage providers were pivoting to online. You know, perhaps everybody was poorly. Perhaps their family and friends were poorly. No one was in the office. Everything was weeks and weeks and weeks of delay. So, and, and every time we thought something was okay, the lender would say, can I have this? Or I'm not sure about that. Or can you get her to send this? Or we need to see all this again, actually. Can you get her to do all these statements again and put them all in a PDF form and send them all? I've never, oh, I went from someone who hated doing my internet banking because I didn't like to see that number every month. That showed me I didn't have a job and I was just a mum, which you should never say to yourself, but I did say to myself, I went from being the woman who hated looking at the bank for that reason to the woman who is so familiar with every line of every (laughs) payment of every transaction through the whole of the last year or so um, from 2019 to 2020. I became amazingly familiar with everything you could do online with your bank account and how to turn statements into things and how to produce different things for the bank. But inch by inch, we inched along and it was absolutely wonderful to feel that even though some of the people I felt should have been there for me were not, some absolutely fantastic friends and my ex-husband cannot fault him for the emotional support he gave us were brilliant at just telling me it was going to be okay. Even if I did have to move out it was going to be okay. I'm not you know your worth is not your house they would say. Mm-hmm. You're not the value of your home. You're a good person, you work hard, you're a good mum, we're gonna figure this out for you. Um, that and must it must have
0: not- been lovely to have heard that given the yeah. narrative that you'd heard for the previous however yeah. many decades from from your family.
1: It was really, really beautiful and amazing. And uh, my particular friend, who became an incredible, she started as my neighbour, but became an incredibly good friend during the pandemic and during this house nightmare. She did really lovely things, like we're going in your loft and we're going to put your suitcase, which I still haven't properly unpacked from Australia. We're going to put it in the loft because we're going to plant it there. We're going to that's your intention. We're going to plant that intention now that the mortgage application is in. You know, we're really going to show you're going to get a good positive mindset about this and we would go for a walk every day we would go for a little country walk and and talk about the house and in the meantime another really cool thing happened which again felt like a lifeline from somewhere else the ad hoc job that I have talked about on and off during this podcast started to become a bigger job because the ad hoc job is helping people understand their legal rights in a certain situation and because of the pandemic this went from being I think my work described it as part of a part-time role to growing into a service need in itself. And my work would say to me, can you, can you do it? Can you do more hours? And because I could work remotely, because we were all locked down anyway, Mm. because there wasn't very much I could take my son to or do anything differently with him. I I just kept saying, yes, yes, please. Yes. Give me more hours. Yes, please. I will meet the demand for this service. And so hours, my hours kept creeping up. Suddenly I did have a salary. Then the salary crept up suddenly I did have a pension and all of the things that I've been so scared of for the preceding years just started to inch their way into place and so the months ticked by and my salary got bigger by no means huge barrister salary like the old days but very comfortable and lovely and some that then also um got sort of blended into the mortgage application I was able to say look I also have this job now this is also coming into my bank account each month
0: So actually maybe another good reason for there being delays.
1: Absolutely. And then finally, in August 2020, we got the, from April to August, From in August 2020, we got the news, you have got the mortgage. You can borrow the rest of it, uh, which was just absolutely amazing. And I'd like to point out, I had some, two particularly brilliant friends who during this they, they you know have some nice money, wealth for themselves and good for them both said to me oh let me lend you the money you know if you've got like ten thousand pounds short, i I'll, I'll lend it to you and i just said no that's so kind of you no. but no not borrowing that kind of money from a friend but it was just brilliant that people hadn't expect hadn't expected to be there for me were a hundred percent there for me no no judgment just wanted to help just There was no sense of you should be like this or you've fallen from grace, which I have received from other quarters. There was very it was just you're a good person. We want to be good people too. let's all support each other. So, yes, and then another four months ticked by, Rachel between August and December, during which time I had some interesting negotiations with my original landlord because he was now happy I was buying the house, but also I think quite surprised by that. I think he'd always had me down as you know just another single mum who couldn't possibly want to buy it or be asked to buy it um in the end, he had to paint the house and do some reparations to the house before I was going to properly put my offer in, but put my offer in I did. And then the story ends really, really happily, because on the 11th of December 2020, so 10 months after the nightmare began, I formally completed on the house. And now it's mine.
0: Oh, lovely.
1: And it was just absolute elation. And even now, it hasn't gone away. I am so grateful for this house. Every single day I wake up and I don't care that anyone thinks it's small and I don't care well, anybody thinks of it, this is my home for my son, that we endured that 10 months together. And I'm sure everyone else in the pandemic endured, you know, similar or worse awfulness, but the stress was just absolutely unbelievable. Um, and I, in a funny, again, sort of funny twist, I sat on the stairs again, drinking wine again, but this time happy on the yeah. 11th of December, thinking it was worth it in the end. We did do the right thing. Um, and my friend was right. Living on my own has been the making of me.
0: Wow. Oh, my goodness. So many things to come out of this. The change, you know, I just think it's really interesting that once you were, when you were living in your house and then you you got your new friends, they actually didn't care about what money you had. It was the fact of, are you, are you a good person? Are you a lovely mum to your son? And you know and that's then when the almost kind of like the payback then kind of happens for that because they were all then there, sort of rallying round
1: in your hour of need the phrase that's come into my head over the last few years when I've sort of pondered about things and reflected on it is it was almost like we had a currency of kindness because these were friends that I had been there for too they had had horrible times they had had loss they had had really difficult challenges that were quite unresolvable and I had been on the phone for hours and wanted to be there for them because I've always wanted to be a good friend and a a good support to people and yeah in that awful awful time for me these people had my back in spades and were absolutely wanting to be there back and they didn't care that I kept crying and they didn't care that I was a mess and that I couldn't be my usual put together trying to be perfect all the time self things were very very far from perfect and my good friends just wanted to be there for me and, and bring me up too and it was an amazing experience of humility actually really, I've described it as a very humbling experience
0: mm. and I love that expression the currency of kindness
1: yeah I think I, it is yeah that's think about
0: maybe that's wonderful really wonderful and just I love this story just for the (laughs) like the positivity of surrounding yourself with friends but you know and as you say with that currency of kindness where it's you know it's reciprocated sometimes it doesn't necessarily feel like it's balanced it may be that one person is is needing more than the other at that point but there's always that opportunity where it just balances out
1: absolutely kindness when I look back again I think that's another thing that I've learned so much through this horrible (laughs) I'm sure we would also we've all learned a lot through the pandemic about ourselves about who matters about what matters Um, another thing that I think I learned actually was exactly to say about that balance because I think that I didn't mean to but deep reflection has made me think I think I had a bit of an unconscious bias against being vulnerable it was all right for everyone else to be vulnerable and everyone else could have difficult times and of course I would always want to definitely be there be the person making them a cake ringing them up supporting them but. I didn't want to ever be vulnerable. I always wanted to be perfect and not have any problems and have everything all, all my ducks in a row as far as I could get them. Or if I couldn't, just not look at those ducks for now. And this taught me that there are going to be awful times for me as well. No Mm. one is immune from awful times. And it's an imbalanced life to be the one who's always trying to be there to support everyone, but never has any problems and never talks about them. And I think it was, I didn't talk about the house until I got it. And then I put a post on Facebook to and it sort of briefly explains the nightmare. But it was really interesting to see the outpouring from friends who had never mentioned any of this to. Hadn't spoken about my marriage separation. Hadn't spoken about the ups and downs of the house. Lots of people sort of came out saying, oh, I wish I'd known something about this. And I wish you'd said something. And oh, I'm so glad it's all worked out for you. And I'm going to be there for you more now. And Actually, quite a few of these friends have been more in touch. But it was weird the way I thought. I can't tell anyone about any of this. I should feel ashamed. I need to feel ashamed that my marriage has broken down. I need to feel ashamed that I'm living in a smaller house. I, in fact, that I don't own my house. I just rent, in inverted commas. Um, it's taught me a lot about that's just wrong.
0: I, sh- yeah. I, should, I
1: never needed to think those things. People would be there for me.
0: Mm. So the immediate thing that springs to mind is actually, would you have, would you have come on my podcast prior to all of this happening, maybe to speak about the, the, you know, the loss of your, of, no. you know, everything around your marriage.
1: And, you know, I nearly didn't come on it anyway, because I think that's another thing is that we all tend to sort of quantify loss and the very, very most heart rendering losses is, is losing a child or losing a partner um, and then obviously you have losing parents, um, maybe losing job, you know, me, being made terribly like dramatically redundant. Or and I just think that I read your your advert, you know, thinking about getting some more people on the show, and I thought, oh, but I had that terrible. Year. Oh, but it wasn't really that bad. I mean, it was it was awful, but it wasn't as bad as someone losing their partner. And one of my good friends is a widow, and I think we all tend to do that. We sort of bargain against ourselves and think, well, what happened to me was awful, but it's not that awful. And but there was just something that made me think. But you know what? I've read a few articles now. I've become increasingly aware that lots and lots of people have faced this. It's called no fault eviction during the pandemic, particularly because the housing market has gone sky high, is on fire. And I I will not be the only one. And actually, my story is a nice story. But there will be people who have experienced far worse than this on a similar basis, that they've lived somewhere for 14 years. And now, because that house is worth, I don't know, £500,000, the landlord's decided, nope, sorry, here's a no fault eviction notice, you've got eight weeks to find somewhere else to live. And when I saw your podcast, I thought, I'm going to offer to talk about this, because I think we need to talk about it. And I think it's not just a housing market issue, it's families losing their homes yeah. and um being able to be told you've got eight weeks to go somewhere else and I've got more and more interested in, I'm only doing this for now, but advocating for changes to the law so that the longer you have lived somewhere the more notice you have to have to leave.
0: Oh that's brilliant, so you're actually sort of almost going full circle, so using all your knowledge and, and expertise that you gained as a barrister to actually put that to to good use in this advocacy and, and perhaps campaigning to, to change the law.
1: Yeah. I, think I mean, it,
0: what a wonderful thing to have come out of all of that. Well,
1: I'm not there yet, Rachel, I'm sure there are other but people But the, inten-
0: the intention is yeah. there. <laughs>
1: yeah. It was really interesting to me because I'd heard... When I was given my notice, uh, or my, my horrible formal letter, you know, I just thought of it as a statutory notice period. But then more recently, as I've read articles about so many families in the UK being told they have to leave during during the pandemic and now, even now in 21 and 2022, and I've seen it being called instead a no-fault eviction. And eviction really carries quite an evocative sense, mm. I think, of being thrown out of your house. Yeah. I always thought of eviction as not paying your rent and you know damaging yeah, your landlord's yeah. yes. house. And, and then I suddenly realised, oh no, actually, this is there is such a thing as being turfed out of your house for no reason at all, other than that your landlord wants to sell it. And that's it really sort of came home to me. That's that's what happened to me, and I actually survived it. But many people won't have the same story, and I, I like talking about it. I think now because I'd rather talk about it so that it's a conduit to other people talking about it as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think going back to what you were saying about loss with the how we sort of tend to make a hierarchy of the the degree of of loss that you experience my take on it is always it it depends upon the relationship of the relationship to the thing that you've lost as to how much it impacts you and from what you've said this house was your it was kind of your your rock your your one stable ship almost if you like that, that that had been there for you in all that getting used to being a solo parent and you know dealing with the shame and and everything else that that was that one solid thing in your life yeah. that actually you, you clearly had a strong relationship with because from the minute you walked in the door you kind of felt yeah. something yeah. that this that's, could work a sense and, of security yeah yeah and i and i think for me that's almost kind of where you can start quantifying or qualifying the, the extent of the loss is actually how how much did that did that thing mean to you that you lost or very nearly lost
1: I think it's one of those things isn't it that sometimes it's a classic thing that sometimes you don't realize how much something someone some job some event means to you until you're on the verge of possibly losing it and this house had become my home matter that I rented it it doesn't matter that the garden was a bit manky it doesn't matter that I couldn't fit some of my furniture in because it was from a bigger. house we were happy here and we were having a good life and we'd met some lovely neighbours it's a wonderful street and it had become my home and it is my home and now I own it my friends and I joke you know we all have that conversation don't we what if you won the lottery I wouldn't sell this house I would lend it out to other people who were in a really awful spot. I would really quite like it to be a little house of refuge for other people who were really, really having a difficult time and needed somewhere to come and stay. But I think I would want to try and hold on to it forever because it just, it's meant so much in, in horrendous couple of years. But even before that, for me, in that tumultuous time of, am I doing the right thing to end this relationship? This house was our little port in the storm.
0: Mm.
1: And it remains so.
0: Gosh, so what would you say? Have been the biggest lessons through all of this?
1: I think the biggest lesson that I've taken forward is that vulnerability can happen to anyone and that's not something i especially grew up with it's not a narrative i had internalized i very much grew up with that you have to be i understand because i'm a woman and women face certain discrimination in all different aspects of life in the workplace and my family wanted me to do well you know be successful ace those exams get a fantastic job get good money buy a big house this is the hallmark of success there wasn't a lot of room in any of that for being vulnerable ever and i hadn't taught myself that it was okay. To be vulnerable to be raw everyone has and, and what I learned from this experience was that being vulnerability can happen to anyone it doesn't matter how much you're trying to make everything lovely it doesn't matter how much you've got a bit of a fallback position you can have the rug swept out from under your life in all different ways at any possible time and it's probably it doesn't matter how I mean it's obviously going to be a lot possibly um A different experience for people who have good wealth to begin with. But even so, I mean, it's not a financial thing. Loss can happen to anyone at any time. So That was my biggest learning, that anyone can be vulnerable and it's okay. And then I think the second half of that was, and when that happens, when that floor-sitting, sobbing, broken moment happens, it may not be the people you thought would be there for you, who were there Mm. for you, but other people will come if you have got anyone in your life that you have any kind of good quality relationship with and it's a it's a properly healthy relationship and you've been kind to them they there will be people who want to help you uh, maybe it isn't some people you've met yet maybe perhaps it's from people from a charity or organization but it you don't have to be on your own the people will always always want to help you and they may come from the most unlikely places but It is okay to be vulnerable. It is okay to break. And there will be people around you who will want to help you and want to see you thrive again. That was also a really good lesson. Maybe a third lesson. And this is particularly in the light of the pandemic and how much everyone's lost things is life is too short to carry unnecessary shame. Mm. Get rid of that and just park your energy into something really, really useful for other people. So for me, that was my job which has increased. But maybe as we've been talking about, it may also become some advocacy for property laws that would change to be more supportive of long term rental, given the housing market. But yeah, I'm wasting time carrying around shame that other people are asking me to carry. I need to let go of that and and channel my efforts and work into something else where I could help more people.
0: And what strikes me there is that you had gone through, you know, because there there would have been a lot of people who would have just said, well, do you know what, I've, you know, I've got a lovely husband, I've got a a fantastic job and okay, it's not ideal, but I'll, but I'll compromise. And I'll, I'll go along with this, you know, even we'll, you know, try to try to work it out between the two of us, but both took that courageous decision to go, actually, it's not right to stay in something that's not working for you. So you'd kind of got, you'd done that first really hard bit and then you were dealt with the with the impact of the shame. And, and that, I suppose, then is the lesson that you've you're, you've learned or learning now, Absolutely. kind of that second part of the session, that lesson that actually, yeah, don't have shame either. Don't be stuck in something that you don't want to be doing and don't have don't be ashamed of, of making that decision
1: And I think to do it gradually in a way, because we did do it gradually. The few people that did know we were separating of that few people, some of them, and and particularly some unhelpful family members were like, Oh, are you going to get divorced then? Now we have actually got amicably divorced, but much later, we didn't do that at all in 2016. We we waited several more years because the first step was always, let's just see if we live apart. Are we better people for it? Are we better parents for it? Let's just start with that. Let's start with a six month rental each in another house we're not rushing to get divorced now we're not making neither of you know we're not rushing into anything else and let's see what happens if we do that and taking it slowly was a good idea and a good idea for our son I think
0: yes which was another good reason for then perhaps making that decision early on before it got to the point where actually you know things have got so bad now the only route forward now is is separation whereas actually looking at the relationship honestly and going let's just let's just try this and and see
1: yeah yeah and it, it was really awful and hard and scary and I would never suggest to anyone that it isn't those things but I did have some lovely friends who were supportive and really really kind and I think I think probably one of the most important things that somebody said to me was because i think rachel i was actually one of the people you're saying i was going to, to sort of i was really considering let's just stick with this you know i know we're not really happy but um that's a model that's another model i've been given Let, let's just figure it out and um, you know it's better for my son if we just stay together and actually one of my friends said but but really is it because what model are you giving to your son Because if he was in love with someone and created a lovely partnership with them, but then things were not working after 10, 15 years, and he came to you and said, I think think we want to separate, would you not say, okay, if you want to do that, I'll support you. Don't give him the model that he wouldn't be able to do that. And he should, I mean, nobody wants to give up on a relationship too early, of course not. But also, I wanted him to have, grow up with a model that if things are not working, it's okay to look at that and figure out if you could do something in a different way
0: yeah oh my goodness he is very lucky to have you what a lovely mum you are and what a lovely what a lovely friend you are to people as well
1: he he (laughs) is the one I think we and I think you know I want to give a lot of credit and and love to my ex-husband as well I think we work really really well together in the way we've made a new family now we've made it it's non-traditional but this is a, a better work for us and I love them both very dearly and I think my son has taught us both a lot about the the need to think about everybody else and trying to figure out and balance other people's needs but not forgetting your own need yeah
0: Yeah. and balancing the needs of the people who are important within that relationship and not about the needs of of the people on the periphery
1: exactly (laughs) ultimately I know you know again I try not to speak in cliches but you're the only person living your life you're the only person in the driving seat of your life if you're you know in a sort of privileged position to be able to do that and you're I I want to acknowledge that abusive relationships are in a different category yeah um if you're in sort of any kind of average home partnership relationship it's your life and and what your family members or friends think of it is they don't know the ins and outs of it they're not living it every single day
0: no absolutely oh thank you so much for coming on the podcast joe i've it's Thank you for me. it's been a lovely conversation I've said cert- I'm certainly going to go away and think about that currency of kindness with um with my friends and the, the people that I love in my life well and also the peripheral people as well because you know it's not just about the close relationships is it and you know and I really admire your bravery and courage of of taking that first step of yeah things aren't working out so let's try something different but also in terms of coming on here today and sharing your story in the hope that it will you know give hope perhaps to someone in a similar situation and yeah to to learn from from what you've learned from so thank you so much
1: no thank you for having me rachel it's been lovely and i just want to stress it was quite difficult decision to decide to talk about it not not because I'm necessarily still carrying the shame but because I am aware that people have much greater losses but at the same time as you say sometimes you can have a bit of a secret loss something that you were desperately attached to and loved in your life you lose it and I wanted to acknowledge that and share that and and if that helps anybody else and um, it's a good and it makes them think I should talk about my story more I think you know that's that's good.
0: Oh, fabulous. Thank you. Wow. I absolutely love the concept of the currency of kindness. Thank you so much, Joe, for your vulnerability in sharing your experiences and learnings. So interesting. I'd also like to thank everyone who supports me in the creation of this podcast. Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music. And of course, you, the listener please share, subscribe and get in touch, especially if you have a lesson from loss that you'd like to share too. Until next time, with love.